I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are rapidly, Pastor Howard, feels like racing to the end of this quarter. We're already like now it, it? on lesson 10 of God's mission, my mess- mission. Yeah. Uh, the title for this week is Mission to the Unreached, Part 1, which, you know, of course implies that there's going to be at least a Part 2 to come, and don't want to give too much away, but there is another part coming. And I don't know about you, but the first thing that stands out to me is just the title itself, Mission, mission to the Unreached, as though that's somehow different than, like, isn't everybody who's... It's an all mission to the unreached. Exactly. I mean, that's why there's a mission to them. Exactly. So, if they, they would, they, why would you So what does it reached? mean by unreached, Cameron? Well, I think what they mean, and, and again, this is in the same way they didn't really clearly define what powerful was. They just implied that it meant wealth and influence. Yeah. Uh, the same thing here about the unreached is code for people who are either non-Christian or even anti-Christian in their worldview. So I put it in this way. The next two lessons of this quarter examine approaches for reaching people who have non-Christian or even anti-Christian worldviews. So they're either ignorant of Christianity or, or, you know, apathetic to it, or they're actively have some prejudice against it. Okay. This week's study draws lessons from the Apostle Paul's work in Athens. Yeah, that kind of spells it out there. If that's the context of our study... You know, the men of Athens were um, Greek philosophers yep. in that background. Yes, yeah. they were. And we have three talking points or for this week. professors in our local universities. Kind of the well, to somewhat that point, equivalent. Just like we did last week with who are the wealthy and powerful. Not all the professors. We this get, week we're going to look and see, like, what does... Because you could almost look at, oh, he went into Athens and they had philosophers, they had idolatry and yeah. paganism, and boy, that was back then. But there are, I think, direct parallels between Paul's work in Athens and our lives in society today. Absolutely. And I should probably clarify my statement. I'm not talking about our Seventh-day Adventist universities and throwing <laughs> stones, but yeah. universities were built on yeah. that Greek philosophical mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what so, we would just generally refer to as the academy. Yeah. Right. So you can't, you, can't, you can't come into our day and say, oh, where is it? There's no trace of it today. It's, I think we're going to see that it's all over. But before we walk through the lesson and get into our mm-hmm. talking points, can you offer us a word of prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we come to you and ask for your guidance in this uh, presentation and also, Lord, in the preparation of our teachers to teach this lesson, um, the, your blessing upon our Sabbath school classes as they go through this lesson. Lord, that it would not fall on deaf ears or unimpressible hearts, but that we would take what it is you have to teach us and we would be more effective in laboring for the lost. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As is our custom, we have three talking points this week. And again, the as I mentioned already, this whole lesson is just looking at the very small piece of scripture in Acts chapter 17 where Paul encountered the Athenians and address them at the Areopagus, mm-hmm. okay? okay? But we're going to draw out of that some... Acts 17. Acts 17. What did I say? I, I don't remember you saying. You might have said, but Pretty I was sure just I said clarifying. Acts. That's all right. But... I didn't know you gave the scripture reference. If well, so, we gave it twice. It's Acts, Acts 17. 17. Yeah. Okay. All right. Talking point number one, idolatry is rampant in the world. That's opposed to was rampant in his world. It is rampant in the world. Okay. And that Sabbath and Sunday, just the kind of the lay of the land that we're working in. Uh, talking point number two, effective witnessing requires empathy and strategy. We've got to have mm-hmm. our heart and our mind engaged. That's coming from Monday and Tuesdays primarily. And then finally, 
Christ's method alone will give true success. Oh, <laughs> you probably that's heard profound. that phrase a lot. Yes. And that's from Wednesday and Thursday. And I will tell you... And Ministry you, of Healing, page 143. Exactly. That is one of the through lines of this entire quarter. It's like, you know what we should do with the poor? Be like Jesus. What should we do with the rich? Be like Jesus. And we're going to find the same thing here with the wise and even antagonistic that Christ's method will work there, All too. All right. But let's go back to this idolatry is, is rampant, rampant in the world. Don't you mean it was rampant I in the mean world? it is rampant. Why don't we go to back up? Before we get to the story, specifically in Acts yeah. 17, could you turn to Romans chapter 1? And just kind of read, uh, let's read verses 18 to 23, just to get a little... Okay. This is, and this is the same Apostle Paul, mind you, he's expressing right. how idolatry exists. Romans 1 and verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Keep going to 23, please. Oh, okay. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Okay, so he lays the case about, and this mm. is to all humanity, right? That, that regardless of your advantages spiritually, there is a universal, uh, how do we say this? A knowledge of God that is accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. And what you do with it determines the outcome of your life, really. And so you're either going to worship God, as God created us to do, or you're going to worship something else. So it's not like these people stopped worshiping. They just took what should be to God and they pointed it earthward and started to regard man and beasts and and Mm -hmm. philosophy and what is it, professing to be wise. Yes. They became fools. Well, that's exactly what what Paul was going to step into in Athens in Acts chapter 17, that this was the seat of what at that time was the apex of human philosophy and wisdom, the Athenians, right? And you would think that'd be no match for the simple faith of Paul, but he recognized that these are people who had an opportunity to use that great knowledge for God, but have dimmed their understanding, and he has a greater knowledge than these great supposedly wise men. And as the chapter goes on, we don't have time to read it in Romans chapter 1, but that philosophical change from worshiping the Creator to revering the creation, what happened to their life and practice after that? Well, it degraded. Mm -hmm. It got lower and lower. And finally, it was completely opposite of what God had intended humanity to experience. But you have the print, the biblical principle that by beholding, we become changed in the Mm. same image we behold. Yes. And uh, Ellen White has some clear statements on that regarding idolatry, that when that's your highest... You know, we look to God, and if your God is no higher than you from a character standpoint... Yeah, it's all downhill from there. It's kind of a low bar. It really is. Well, and when Paul, the background for Acts chapter 17 is he'd been ministering in synagogues and and Mm -hmm. all throughout the, uh, well, his his ministry tour there in Acts chapter 17, but he gets kicked out of one place and then from another place, and finally he's sent off to Athens, and he's waiting for... Paul uh, for Silas and Timothy to come and join him. So basically, he's kind of 
in a, at, at a, kicking around in Athens. Yeah, he's just kind of walking around in Athens a little bit. Why don't you read verses 16 uh, and uh, 17? Just read those two verses. Now, while Paul waited for them at, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Now, you get the picture. He's waiting there apparently for several weeks because there's enough weeks that Sabbaths, plural, can go by. So during the week, after he does his ministry in the synagogues on the weekend, on the Sabbath, he apparently is, quote, um, he was reasoning in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So he's just going around town, looking at things, interacting with people, getting a sense of their mindset and their, their lifestyle, he's evaluating things. But mm-hmm. he, there's something in him stirs because he sees, quote, that they are given over, given to, over to, to idols. The yeah. whole place is replete with idolatry, and it stirred something in him to address it. What's so, interesting is yeah. that he is, um, when he goes into the market, you know, last week we talked about reaching the, the what did it say, the, the powerful, powerful, the influential, yeah. whatever. This is still not the same class. In other mm. words, those in the marketplace, as he's reasoning in the marketplace, again, he's not, there's nobody to minister to, per se. I mean, oh, I'm sorry, you dropped your produce or something. Right, right, yeah. That's not, the only way he has to minister here is to direct them on, maybe at first commonplace topics, yeah. but it's the kind of stuff none of us likes to do. Yeah. It's like, let me go somewhere where I can give somebody a loaf of bread or go somewhere yeah. and give them a bottle of water or go somewhere and but they're going to say, thank away, you, thank like, you. Yeah. Right, like, but he was so bothered by it, he couldn't just teach in the synagogues. He could easily say, look, the synagogues, I'm doing a meeting there, I'm doing a series there, and I'm just going to go and pretend I'm, I'm one of the crowd in the mm-hmm. crowd. No, he goes in the crowd and he's like, I got to do something. Well, one so of the things... just to agitate the subjects with people, yes, so it, to speak. So how he engages with those Not people... Not in a rude way, yeah, as we're going to say. Yeah, and we're going to get into that, how he engaged with the people. But let's first stop and just notice that he stopped and noticed. Yes. He didn't just say, well, I'm just going to hang out. And I guess the city's a city, it's a city. He said, this place is different. This is different than some of the, the Lystras or Iconians, wherever he had been to. This one, this was different. And, and he started... Well, it, the Bible says he was stirred in his heart... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. And so the picture that comes into my mind is there's just lots of statues and lots of like, (laughs) you know, images of snakes and birds and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, this is just paganism, which, of course, it was. Mm -hmm. But Sister White describes for us what he actually encountered there. Why don't you read that description in Acts of the Apostles 2.33? says, the city of Athens was the metropolis of heathendom. Everywhere, statues of their gods and of the deified heroes of history and poetry met the eye, while magnificent architecture and paintings represented the national glory of the popular worship of heathen deities. The senses of the people were entranced by the beauty and splendor of art. On every hand, sanctuaries and temples involving untold expense reared their massive forms. Victories of arms and Deeds of celebrated men were commemorated by sculpture, shrines, and tablets. All these made Athens a vast gallery of art. So it was apparently quite a sight to behold. It's not like they just had statues and ugly images of frogs and mm-hmm. what are, insects or something. This was like 
grand architecture and lofty edifices and and it wasn't just to quote gods it was celebrated men national treasures you know paintings and like to me that describes like times square you know i was gonna say i know where you're going but i don't we don't really even need you to get there it's like how can you not listen to that and think of that and realize that it's a metropolis like any metropolis has ever been. Yeah. You know, and, and this is back to the, the marketplace idea. I mean, I don't know what we get the idea of in the marketplace, always ministering, he's in the homeless side of town. No, this is one of those great places you like to go with your wife and in a downtown, mm-hmm. little, little uh, neat little shops yeah. and one of those uh, food fairs and this kind of eclectic, exciting yeah. kind of, this is not a, these are the places people go for pleasure and entertainment yes. today. Yes, and you think of and sports the stadiums and yes. big buildings and art galleries and, and, and heroes of the state and of uh, poetry or literature or entertainment. My goodness, right. Hollywood, you know. And how is that different? <laughs> the kind of place you feel awkward going and standing and handing out tracts. Exactly. You know, like, Paul oh. was that guy. <laughs> exactly. That's so cool. And today, the, the lesson brings out, today our cities are still full of idols. Mm. And I'm sorry, I disagree with the end of the statement. It says, even mm. though they are less obvious than what Paul saw. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, I, you go to any downtown anywhere and you're like, yep, this is Athens, right? Yes. And unfortunately, many believers are fully capable of walking through a city without reacting in the least to its idols. And I think they're spot on there. That How many of us mm-hmm. just say like, oh, poor Paul had to deal with the heathenism, but in this modern society, we don't right. have any of that. It's the same stuff, mm-hmm. right? It's the same idolatrous I, spirit. I mean, we would be safe to say worldliness. Yes. But worldly, oh, no, 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 it says idols and idolatry. Like, that's what, what is worldliness? It's something that excludes God, which means in his place, anything in his place is idolatry. And this result in society is what Paul described in Romans 1, where they they relinquish the view of God and they become like man is the highest elevation and it's just degradating from there, right? The same idolatrous spirit and resultant vices are just as evident in contemporary society as they were in Athens 2,000 years ago. Like Paul, we should notice it and be moved with compassion for the multitude swept it. We should Mm -hmm. not be nonchalant about the masses in today's cities and cultural centers. Well, this kind of segues into if we are mindful of them, we need more than empathy Yes. We got to have a strategy. Thank you. How are we going to reach, you know, what 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 do we do then to make that effective impact on this? Well, that's exactly what Paul was wrestling with as he's going around the marketplace. He's thinking he's thinking like, what can I if I had a chance to speak to a crowd, what would my line of reasoning be? He wants to reach their heart, right? So he doesn't just open up with like, you poor idolatrous sinners, you're going to be lost, which is true. But he's like, mm-hmm. how can I strategically get there? So the second talking point is effective witnessing requires empathy and, and strategy. strategy. So let's go to Acts chapter 17 again. And I'll read a little bit and I'll let you read some. I'll pick up there in verse 18 that after he was, uh, well, start in verse 17. Therefore, he reasoned with, in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then, as a result of his daily witness, right, right. certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Which, by the way, implies they were listening to him, and they were having conversations, and they were interested. Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? 
for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were, who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Now, the lesson brought out, that doesn't mean they were just lazy, laying around idle, but they were, their focus in life was the new and the strange and the uh, cross-cultural, you know, just gleaning whatever crazy they could hear from all over the place, right? right? And they're like, hey, this is some new crazy. Why don't you bring your crazy <laughs> down here and let's talk about it. Right, it's and, something new. And Paul is like, all right, I can do that. And he goes with them, right? And how he addresses them is really the burden of the rest of our lesson study. Uh, are you looking up something specific? I am. Okay. Shall I go on and you'll bring it in in a second? Yes. Okay. In Acts 17.22, it goes, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very, and you would expect him to say wicked, right? But he doesn't. He says, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Now think about that. Paul is looking mm. around and evaluating, says there is a spiritual thread in these people, even though it's misapplied to the creator and to the creation instead of the creator, but there is something in them that would still resonate with worship. Right. They want to know higher things. They just don't know what it is. In fact, they admit we don't know. There's some God out there we don't know. And he says, Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing. Him, I proclaim to you. And that's how he opens up his right. conversation. Which is really brilliant. Because, you know, they can't argue it. It's like, no, he's not like that. What do you mean? You don't know him. And I do. Like, <laughs> I mean, you, there's no way. So it was, a, it was a pretty wise end. Well, not only is it wise in the unknown God thing, but he starts with a compliment. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I know there's a spiritual vein in this town. Look all around. You worship everything under the sun. And, he, you know, it was Mark... Finley, I heard say that 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 made a profound statement that we need to, as soul winners, we need to view everybody as winnable. Yes. And sometimes we we do the opposite. And this is what Paul was doing. He was thinking of the best possible constru construct to put on this, mm -hmm. and he was viewing them as winnable. Yeah. Like there's something in them that is interested that is interested in what I have to like, say. Like what can I tap? And even it's yep. one little thread, can I right. pull that right? Well, the lesson brought this up in in the Tuesday on paragraph three. Uh, what does that statement say? Tuesday, paragraph three, it says, by describing his own study of the Athenian religion, Paul communicated a respectful attitude toward the people. He was not rushing in as a self-proclaimed expert with all the answers for how the people needed to change. By the way, the quarterly brings out in the very next sentence after that, though he was an expert and did know right. what they needed, right. but he didn't put on didn't airs have, like yes. that. He's like, by the way, I am this and you are that. And here's where he starts it's to appeal Jesus to them. Jesus is the woman at the well asking for a drink instead of offering a drink. Right. He's you like, know? this is a strategy to win the heart, right? Now, this made me think of, and this is not in the lesson quarterly itself, but I couldn't help but think of how applicable Evangelism page 200 is. A counsel that mm. Sister White gave to a missionary going off to a foreign land. Why don't you read that for us? It says, in laboring in a new field, do not think it your duty to say at once to the people, we are Seventh-day Adventists. We believe that the seventh day is the Sabbath. We believe in the non-immortality of the soul. This would often erect a formidable barrier between you and those you wish to reach. Speak to them as you have opportunity upon points of doctrine on which you can agree. Dwell on the necessity of practical godliness. 
Give them evidence that you are a Christian desiring peace and that you love their souls. Let them see that you are conscientious. Thus, you will gain their confidence, and there will be time enough for doctrines. Let the heart be won, the soil prepared, and then sow the seed, presenting in love the truth as it is in Jesus. And that seems to be exactly the approach the Apostle Paul took. He wasn't trying to show, here's where you're wrong and here's where I'm right, come make a decision. He said, look, he started bonding with them, right? I Mm -hmm. I know you're religious, look all around. And you even say that there's a God you don't know. Well, the new thing I'm bringing to the table is a knowledge of that otherwise unknown God. Let Mm. me talk to you about it. And then he appeals to him. He's a creator God. He's a loving God. He's, he's better than any other God you can imagine. And we, he just starts to paint a picture of the character of God. It's beautiful, right? And, you know, in that counsel that Ellen White says there, she says, thus you will gain their confidence. And why do you want their confidence? You want that confidence because now you're going to introduce something that they don't know mm-hmm. or that they might be tempted to disagree with, but you've already opened a bridge right. so that if you can trust me here, you can trust me where we're going, right? It's a really insightful thing. And that phrase, when uh, gain their confidence, mm-hmm. that seems to be lifted almost word for mm-hmm. word from that Christ's method alone statement. That that's the goal of Christ's method is not just being nice for the sake of being nice or the disinterested benevolent type of thing. The goal is to build a bond of sympathy and confidence so that when you say, now follow me, here's the way, walk in it, that they will trust that that's a safe path to take. That's right. You you care for their soul. Which segues into our third talking point. And so before we go there, please, something that what I was looking up is, just to clarify. So the Areopagus was, the word Ares is the god of war Mm -hmm. or Mars. And so the Pegasus was the hill, the Areopagus. Mm Mars Hill is Mm -hmm. what a lot of translations say. Now, I bring that up because there have been a whole boatload of Christian churches that call themselves the Mars Hill Church because they've taken this in recent years because they've got this approach where they're not churchy anymore. They're going to meet the minds of these intellectual, and we have one after another after another of those who has Mm. just been a worldly center of, I Mm. mean, it's been Mars Hill. Truly, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) not the Paul side of things. And so I think it's important that sometimes we go into this lesson, it's almost like we're enamored. And we'll take this this example, which I think is an excellent example of Paul, but we'll take it the next step to where we actually are kind of desirous to be esteemed by the philosophers at Mm. Mars Hill. Where Paul, he didn't care whether he was esteemed by them. In fact, afterwards, he has to bring up and say... um, I determined after that encounter to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And Ellen White's got some great things on that. You can look up in her for his yes. first letter to the Corinthians. And so um, I think that's a good segue to our third talking point that Paul was following Christ's method. And let's make sure that as we always need to be adapting our methods to reaching people, yes. let's be sure we're following Christ's method and not worldly methods of reaching people. Well, thank you for bringing up the word method, because that's the talking point number three. Christ's method alone will give true success, which, of course, is lifted directly from Ministry of Healing, page right. 143. But sometimes we think, well, wait a minute. How can we follow Christ's method? And that's the one method of the war, Christ's method alone. But then we need to advocate for new methods. Yeah. Aren't those contradictory? And I would mm. argue that 
when Sister White talks about, or we see examples in the scripture of someone making a creative approach or new, uh, new way of introducing the gospel, that's not changing the gospel. It's changing no. the way we get. The, it's changing exactly the approach right. to it. But it's it's like it's the same road with just different on ramps, right? It's different ways of approaching it. So what I see in Paul's approach to the Areopagus is not something wrong. It's just something different. But at the end, he doesn't say, mm-hmm. I was wrong. Now I'm going to do the right thing. He's like, no, that was fine, but I'm going to do a better thing. That, and like, I think that brings up another good po- uh, uh, thing we need to look at, a good point. That is that, you know, I'm in most cases, I'm all for people trying new things. All the time, so I'm going to try this new thing in evangelism. The only challenge I have is when we do that, then we aren't honest with ourselves with the results. We don't evaluate. Mm. We don't say, I tried a new thing, and it was a train wreck. Yeah. We say, oh, it was great. It was great. And we want to, and then we bump the numbers and make it look like this. Right. So, and, and Paul didn't do that. So I think new methods, the only way you can know a new method is working or not working is to be f- honest in your evaluations with that. And I, so I think it's, yes. it's important. And, and there are methods I've watched people use. You know, I could just make something up. Well, this isn't actually made up. I know people try to say, yeah, we'll yeah, go you out. Could, you could almost be careful because any creative thing yeah. you could imagine. Oh, we'll, go, we'll, go to the, we'll go into the bar. Nobody does that. And those people in the bar mm-hmm. need Jesus. And then you got some new alcoholic, new recovering alcoholic member mm. who goes in. That's just not a smart thing to do. So right. there are things we can do where we're putting ourselves. It might be new method. There might be people to reach. But it might not be the best avenue. Right. And Paul had a modicum of success. Absolutely. And so he wouldn't look back and say, well, I shouldn't have done it at all. But he does look back and evaluate and say, maybe going forward, I'm going to stick to an even simpler, more straightforward approach. And I'm not talking just about new methods. I really think traditional methods need that same. Like everything we do to win souls needs a fair and honest evaluation is it still working the way it should? And if it's not, then let's let's change. Fix it. Yeah, exactly. Well, Paul outlines in First Corinthians chapter nine his ministry philosophy, and and we know this very well. I'm not going to read it all, but it's starting verse twenty. He says, "And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. And to those mm-hmm. under the law, as on, on, one under the law that I might win those who are under the law." And he goes on explaining in verse twenty two, "I become all things to all men. Why? Mm-hmm. That I might by all means win save some." some. Right. So his his mindset as he works with uh, Gentiles or pagans or idolaters is like, what's a way that I can start here but get to the same result? I'm going to try to win them. Mm-hmm. And if I'm Jewish, I'm going to be really Jewish around the Jewish people because that's the language they speak, right? But it's the same method. It's just a yes. different entrance point. It's well, a different approach. And, and we're assured in, in uh, Inspirations, Testimonies, Volume 6, page 467 says, as field after field is entered, new methods and new plans will spring from new circumstances. New thoughts will come with the new workers who give themselves to the work. As they receive the, as they seek the Lord for help, he will communicate with them. They will receive plans devised by the Lord himself. Praise so the Lord's going to deny, devise new ways and, and impress them on the minds of the workers to reach Exactly. People. But even those new ways of like, oh, I never thought about this. What if we try to still this? Gonna you know, be. Are still following that same Christ, Christ method, method alone, right? So it is not, I got this in the notes here, it is not contradictory to seek new ways to approach people and still maintain that Christ's method alone will give true mm-hmm. success and reason to people. New approaches are just different ways of applying that one method. And Paul's address to the Areopagus exemplifies a willingness to approach people in new creative ways while applying Christ's true model of success. Why was he, why did he go and say, I perceive that you're really spiritual. 
I mean, look at all your objects of worship. He was trying to communicate to them in a way that would be winsome. Right. Would, you heathen idolaters, <laughs> repent! Which, by the way, both statements are true. <laughs> right. But one they're going to like more. So go with the one that gonna, it's going to build bridges, right? Mm-hmm. And start there and then lead them to it. And let's be clear, Paul did his share of calling them to repentance. He certainly did. He just didn't start on that foot right. with, the, with the Gentiles. So his believers. goal with the Jews, with the Gentiles, with the old, with the young, to near and far, was to get them to faith in Jesus Christ. But had, how can I get there? The Ark of Christ's method alone, but for these people, mm. I'll start as a Jew. These people, I'll start as a Gentile. These people, I'll even, I'll find something good about those pagans That's and work right. there, but I'm going to work my way through Christ's method. Amen. There's a statement from the quarterly. It's also from Acts of Apostles 240 and 241 for our conclusion this week. Paul's words contain a treasure of knowledge for the church. He was in a position where he might easily have said that which would have irritated his proud listeners and brought himself into difficulty. But with a tact born of divine love, he carefully drew their minds away from heathen deities by revealing to them the true God who was to them unknown. Which is, of course, what we want to do is bring people to a knowledge of the true God. And before we close with prayer... Our challenge... Challenge... Challenge up. (laughs) This week's challenge says, in prayer... Ask God for specific guidance in knowing how best to witness to someone you know. Okay. Okay. We're going to start with prayer for knowledge. Great. Challenge up. Explore social media as a possible Areopagus for you to represent the gospel with Paul's clarity and discretion to unbelievers. So, okay. Okay. It's a specific application. And it's a little more direct. It's a little but, more direct, but okay. But you just, would think with the challenge, if the challenge is pray that God guide you to witness to someone you know, you would think the challenge up would be then go and witness to that someone you know that God's impressed you. So again, maybe there's two challenges. Pray for an opportunity and do the witnessing to someone, but also look to creative modern Areopagus, you know, venues like social media or whatever Mm -hmm. to share our faith. But let's do Mm -hmm. it practicing that method of Christ and the creativity of Paul and see how the Lord leads. Why don't you pray for us? Father in heaven, again, we are thankful for the testimony of your word. We thank you for this lesson to remind us of the importance of trying to reach all people. Mm. And, Lord, that ultimately you're in charge and you will devise plans and methods for us if we look to you and trust in you with a, with a, a heart of love for the souls around us. We pray that you would increase that love for others. And, Lord, help us, lead us to those people that we can be effective in winning for your kingdom. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.